Open your Bible, if you will, to the book of Revelation, chapter 12. Revelation, chapter 12. I've taught through the book of Revelation, every verse of it, twice during my time here, many other messages, but I'm rediscovering it again, anew and afresh. And it is so fresh. <laughs> it is so up-to-date when you begin to study it. And tonight, uh, I want to uh, go to this 12th chapter. It's an especially important chapter in the book of Revelation. If you don't get it, you won't get the rest of the book. Heavenly Father, tonight as we open your word, I pray that your Holy Spirit will guide and direct me. Help me to be able to concentrate and focus on your word. And I pray that you will open the hearts of those who listen. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Well, I've been speaking to you about the great reset. This is the fourth message. Tonight, the subject is preparing for the great tribulation and global governance. Preparing for the great tribulation and global governance. This week, the World Economic Forum met in Davos, Switzerland. If you were watching your national news, you couldn't, you couldn't miss it. It was on every single newscast. About 3,000 politicians, business leaders from across the whole world, tech CEOs, billionaires, movie stars, academics, people in leadership in all the different fields that we think of that comprise society, they met over there, 3,000 of them. Their goal is very clear, as made clear in the book COVID-19, The Great Reset, that I have been preaching to you, using as the basis for my thinking. The goal is to reset every segment of society by the year 2030. And their idea is that by then we will have what their term, I'm using their term, global governance. In other words, there will be one global government on the planet by the year 2030. The book was written by a man who is the founder and president of the World Economic Forum. He has an impressive resume according to this world's wisdom. His name is Klaus Schwab, and he wrote the book in concert with other people that lays out the vision of these globalists to reset all of society. He especially is interested in the economy because he is an economist by trade, and so he's interested in bringing the world into one economy, and he's also big on the whole climate change issue this week, John Kerry, who is a part of the new administration here in the United States and the federal government, John Kerry said, we've only got nine years. And so you know they're in a hurry <laughs> to implement all of that. That's, that's a signal that we all ought to be cognizant of. Now, they also say that COVID has given them an opportunity, a golden opportunity to bring about this reset. And they say that society will never go back to the way that it was. Well, we as Christians, 
we look at our Bibles. Our Bibles are 25 to 27% prophetic. Now, all of that prophecy is not future to us because many prophecies were given and then they have since been fulfilled. But there's still huge amounts of prophecy that have not yet been fulfilled that are contained in the Scripture. And I want to tell Mr. Schwab that God has a reset plan as well and that his plan is working out. In fact, Mr. Schwab and his crowd over there may be helping bring about God's reset, huh? And so tonight we open our Bibles to the book of Revelation chapter 12. Now, let me set context for you because I'm going to speak from these chapters, this chapter and the succeeding ones for the next two or three, four weeks. In chapter 11, chapter 11 concludes with the sounding of what is called the seventh, the seventh trumpet. The trumpets represent different judgments. This is the seventh judgment that has come upon the world. The time of chapter number 11 is the, half, the midpoint of the tribulation period. The tribulation period lasts for seven years. So we're at the three and a half year mark when we open our Bible to chapter number 12 of Revelation. We have a name for the tribulation period, several names from the Bible. The Bible speaks of it as the tribulation, but it divides the tribulation into two segments, three and a half years each. So we have the tribulation, and then we have the great tribulation. The great tribulation begins in chapter 12, where we are right now. This is the beginning, because what he means by the great tribulation is that the events, they become worse, if you could imagine, than they were in the first three and a half years. They, the, the tribulation intensifies as you go through it until its climax. In the book of Jeremiah, chapter 30 and verse 7, you just note that I'm not going to turn there, but Jeremiah 30 and 7 has a specific name for the tribulation. It's called the time of Jacob's troubles. The time of Jacob's troubles. Jacob referring to the nation of Israel. And the tribulation really focuses not upon the church. Now, understand and remember that what we're reading right here has nothing to do with the church. The church has been raptured out of here before this begins. So I'm not talking, you don't have to fear what I'm talking about right here as a Bible-believing Christian. The church is gone. The church is with our Lord in heaven. And the focus is not the church. The focus is the, is the nation of Israel here, the time of Jacob's troubles. In Matthew chapter 24 and Verse 21, the Lord Jesus refers, in fact, to the great tribulation, that latter part of it, when the events on earth so intensify. Now, we're going to look at chapter 12 tonight, chapter 13 next week. Then we're going to go to chapter 17 and 18 and 19. And in those chapters, we're going to discover the main characters of the Great Tribulation period, that latter half of that time. And so we began reading, if you'll follow with me in your Bible. 
chapter 12 and verse 1, and there appeared a great wonder in heaven. A great wonder. The wonder here, if you have a marginal Bible, it may say the word wonder there refers to a sign or to a symbol. Now, many people think Revelation is far more symbolic than it is. Really, much of Revelation can be taken absolutely literally, and we interpret it like that. However, it tells you when it's talking about symbolism here. And in uh, Revelation chapter 12 and verse number 1, there appeared a great wonder, a great sign or symbol, if you will, in heaven. A woman, and then it describes the woman, clothed with the sun. So we know this is symbolic. That's not a literal woman who's clothed with the sun. The moon under her feet, upon her head, a crown of 12 stars. So this is not an actual woman. This is a symbolic woman. And by saying it like that, though, the Scripture is inferring that other things can be taken literally. Now, let's look at the woman. Who is the woman? I'm going to tell you who she is right up front, and then I think you'll see it yourself in the Scripture. The woman is Israel. So you might want to make a mark there in the margin of your Bible. The woman referred to symbolically here is the nation of Israel. In a number of places in the Old Testament, the Bible refers to Israel as the wife of God or the betrothed of God. And this morning, we looked at the church. It is the bride of Christ, but Israel's not a bride. Israel is the wife of Jehovah in the Old Testament. This woman is very, very uh, uh, descriptive here. She is clothed with the sun, so she's radiant. She would be glistening and shining and glorious. The moon is under her feet, and upon her head is a crown of 12 stars. The Roman Catholics say that this is Mary, but Mary never fled into the wilderness for 1,260 days like this woman is going to do here momentarily. So that, that, that eliminates Mary. The pro, many Protestants have said that the woman is the church, but the church is the bride of Christ, but that's already been taken out, taken out of the world at the beginning of the tribulation or before the tribulation begins. And this woman is going to give birth to a baby that we see as Jesus, and the church never gave birth to Jesus. Jesus gave birth to the church. We're finding that out. So we know it's not Mary. We know it's not the church by just simply studying the Scriptures, comparing one Scripture with another, just sort of a logical deduction. Well, in verse 1 and 2, she's clothed with the sun, her radiance. She's standing on the moon with this crown of stars, and she's pregnant. She is anticipating a child to be born. In Genesis chapter 37 and verse 9, I won't turn over there, but you have Jacob telling his dream to his father, who at that time is called Jacob, but later is called Israel. You remember that? And he talks about this dream, and Joseph says, I dreamed that my father and my mother and all my brothers were like the sun, the moon, and the stars, and they knelt down and they worshiped me. 
And so we see there a description that matches the description in Revelation of the nation of Israel. Twelve tribes and uh, the, each of those stars representing tribes. So we have pretty good hints that this, this woman represents the nation of Israel and even going clear back to the beginning to her birth. Then in verse number 3, we see another character here. There appeared another sign, another symbol. And who is that? It's a great red dragon. And my, what a monstrosity to even look at it is to almost be terrified. It has seven heads. It has ten horns on the heads and seven crowns upon his heads. Now, what in the world could that mean? Well, if you're new to studying the Bible and Bible prophecy, we don't just look at something and, 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 and say, well, this is what this means to me, because we could sure be wrong on that. We compare Scripture with Scripture. And the Scripture is the best commentary ever written on the Scripture. So you look for other places in the Bible, and when you find the other places, you will find you'll be able to put those together and you'll know that your interpretation is the interpretation that the Lord would have us have. And so we've got this sign, symbol, this figurative being here, and he's depicted as a red dragon. He has seven heads. And where have we seen that before? Well, just two weeks ago, I spoke to you from the book of Daniel and we were in chapter 2, and we saw that image of the kingdoms of this world. And I said before Daniel had that vision, there were two that preceded that image. And then we turned over to chapter 7, and we saw a beast there. And that beast also had seven heads. So those heads in Daniel represent past kingdoms, the great kingdoms of the earth. I think they still mean that right here because God is very consistent in his use of symbols. It has 10 horns. And in Daniel chapter 7, that beast back there in the Old Testament had those 10 horns. And they had crowns on those horns. Now, we look down to chapter 9, and we know that our interpretation here is right because the Bible confirms it. Look in chapter 12 and verse 9. The great dragon was cast out. And here's his name, that old serpent called the devil and Satan who deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him. So we know who the dragon is. We've got the woman, the nation of Israel. We've got the fiery red dragon. And verse 9 tells us exactly who he is, Satan the adversary, the old serpent. It goes on and on and piles up the names of the devil here. Now, let's go back to verse 4. His tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. We know that from other places in the Bible that when Satan rebelled against God, that there was a rebellion in heaven, a war of sorts in heaven. And a third of the angelic force, a third of the angels chose to follow Satan. 
That's where the demons come from in the Bible. Demons are nothing but fallen angels. They're beings that at one time were loyal to God and followed him. And then Satan deceived them. He's called the great deceiver here, isn't he? Satan deceived even the angels, and they followed him in their rebellion. There was a conflict, and a third of them were cast out of heaven, verse 4. When did that happen? We don't know exactly. That happened probably before creation or sometime around creation. It didn't happen from the time after creation, or, or if it did, the Bible doesn't mention. I don't think it did. There's nothing to, uh, no reason for that. Sometime prior to creation itself, or around creation, this rebellion of Satan, when he was lifted up with pride, he wanted to be worshiped. He was jealous of God, and he drew away one third of the angelic force. Now, I'm telling you, that really sounds out there, doesn't it? I mean, when you listen to somebody talking about that, if you're not a Bible student and a Christian, that sounds really weird. I mean, that is, that's further out than just about any sci-fi movie you've ever heard of. And yet, it's the Word of God. We believe it. We trust it. And uh, this, this is stuff that is really way beyond normal right here at this point. So Satan and his angels are cast down to the earth, according to verse 9 that we've already read, the last phrase. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Where is Satan today? You hear all these depictions that Satan is down in hell, and he's shoveling coal. Well, believe me, the flames of hell are not kept alive by somebody shoveling coal anyhow. That's all myth. That's all legendary from human sources. The when God spoke to Satan at the, in the book of Job, and he presented himself, and he was getting ready to attack Job, do you remember the Lord said to Satan, where have you been? And Satan said, I've been going to and fro upon the earth, to and fro upon the earth. Where is Satan tonight going to and fro upon the earth? He's not in hell. He's never been in hell. He will not be in hell until Revelation chapter 20. He's going to and fro upon the earth. I, I have a hypothesis. It's a man's opinion. I think I know exactly where he is. I think it's uh, Washington, uh, <laughs> D.C. or somewhere like that maybe. I think that's his headquarters anymore. Maybe New York. He often goes to California for a little time off, but um, some of us have even thought that he occasionally visited in South Carolina, huh? But where is Satan? He's on the earth. He was cast out upon the earth. And uh, Jesus even described that a little bit himself. Would you go back to the book of Luke with me? There's just a really fascinating phrase right there in chapter 10. Luke chapter number 10, Jesus is sending out his apostles. He's trying to give them some confidence. And um, in Luke chapter 10 and verse number 18, or let's go to verse 17. The 70, and those are disciples of the Lord that he's training. The 70 returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject to unto, unto us through thy name. 
And he said this unto them. Notice this verse. I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. He's looking backward, past tense. I beheld Satan, and he fell like a bolt of lightning to the ground. So, over and over, the Bible makes this case of uh, Satan cast out of heaven, coming to the earth. Now, since that time, of course, Satan has done everything that he could to oppose all of God's plans. And right here in chapter 4, we continue to read, His tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman. And she was ready to be delivered of her child. And he's standing there, this vicious red dragon, to devour her child as soon as it is born. And so Satan is there to destroy Jesus Christ. He always has hated Jesus Christ. She brought forth a man-child, Israel, the nation. The child is to rule all nations. Where have you heard that? Psalm number two, he will rule the nations with a rod of iron. In the book of Revelation chapter 19, it says when he comes back, he's going to rule with a rod of iron. And so she brought forth the man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And then it doesn't tell us anything more about the life of Christ at all here because that's not the main focus of what he's talking about. It skips over his childhood. It skips over his ministry years. It skips over his death, his burial, his resurrection, all the things that are so vital about know, that we know about Christ. All of that is dismissed because right now, the focus is upon this big picture that's going to happen in the future. And so the nation of Israel, the woman brings forth the man-child, and we know his identity. He is the only one who will rule all nations with a rod of iron. And then her child is caught up unto God to the throne. So it skips everything about the life of Christ except the ascension. Jesus Christ was born, and he was taken up to heaven. In this verse here, the, the Bible often does that. It, it skips huge blocks of time. It, ne, it, it doesn't often go just consecutively and successively one event right after the other. It'll skip huge blocks of time, and it does here. It just says that Jesus was born, and then it skips over his life. He's caught up to heaven here. But the dragon was trying to destroy him. And he tried and tried. You remember, he did several things in the Old Testament to even keep him from being born. In Matthew chapter 2, do you remember the wise men come to Herod and they say, where is he that is born the king of the Jews? And Herod said, whoa, I didn't know a king had been born. That's competition. And he didn't let on to them. And so he said to them, well, you go find him and let me know. And the Lord protected the child, and they went home another way and didn't go to see Herod. But you know that Herod then killed about 200 boy babies around the area of Bethlehem trying to kill the Lord Jesus Christ when he was an infant. 
Satan is always trying to destroy the Lord Jesus. And then at the temptation in the wilderness, he attempted to, to destroy Christ again, and he failed. And then Jesus went to the cross. And at the cross, old Satan, I'm sure he was dancing with glee. He thought, man, I've got him now. And he was buried, and three days later, he comes out of that tomb. And he resurrected, and Satan is defeated again. But over and over, these attempts to destroy Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now he stands in front of the woman here. In verse 5, we've already looked at it, but the child is born. It's Jesus, the only one who will ever rule all the nations with a rod of iron. And the only one who was ever called up by God to the throne of God in heaven. And then the scene changes, and it goes from the past to the future. Verse 7, and you really have to watch this study in Revelation. It goes back and forth between time. It is not necessarily chronological at all. So now we go from the past, what has happened in the life of Christ. In verse number 6, we go to the woman. The woman fled to the wilderness where she had a place prepared of God. Now we're back in the end of the tribulation period. And I'm going to skip that verse for a moment and come back. And we're at the midpoint of the tribulation. Everything else has been previous, historical. Israel is the woman giving birth to Christ the Son. The devil is there trying to destroy him throughout his life. But come to verse number 7, and there was war in heaven. Now, this is not the war referred to in verse 4 in the past. This is another war, a second war that is being fought in the heavenlies. And Michael, the archangel, and the heavenly angels again fight against Satan and his fallen angels, his demonic spirits. Keep your hand right there and go with me to the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. Go to chapter 12 of Daniel. And let me show you how you cross-reference the scriptures and it interprets it for you. And in Daniel chapter 12 and verse 1, at that time shall Michael... The archangel stand up, the great prince, which standeth for the children of thy people, Israel, and there will be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation. We're talking, there's a descriptive phrase of the great tribulation period. A time of trouble like there never has been to any nation. And at that time, thy people, that's the people of God, the Israelites, the Jews, they shall be delivered, everyone that shall be found written in the book. And so Daniel prophesied this in the past. Now, John in the Revelation is looking forward to the tribulation period, the second half of it, the great tribulation. And here's this war in heaven. What is heaven here? Well, I'm not exactly sure because, you see, in your Bible, there are three heavens. And when it doesn't distinguish, it's hard for us to unless the context um, reveals it to us. See, there's the atmospheric heaven. That's the heaven we look up and there birds are flying in the heavens. That's the heavens. We refer to it like that. And the, and the Bible refers to it sometimes like that. Here, this is an interesting thing. The uh, Greeks 
talked about the air, and they spelled it A-E-R. The air went up to 9,570 feet. And the reason they said that was because that was the top of Mount Olympus, and that was the highest point anybody in the ancient days had ever been to. So they referred to that as the first heaven, the air. Satan is the prince and power of the air. They meant Satan operated from the earth up to 9,570 feet. Then above that heaven, the place where the birds fly, our atmosphere, there's the stellar heavens, we call it, where the stars and the moon and the sun and the planets are what we would call space. That's the second heaven. And then the third heaven is the throne of God, the place where God inhabits. So when the Bible talks about the heavens, plural, then it can be talking about any one or all three of those. Where did this battle occur? We know the other battle occurred in heaven where the throne of God is. But we can't be sure on this one because Satan was not granted access back into heaven. So in all probability, it happened in the atmosphere above the earth. These powerful angelic forces are fighting at the end of the tribulation period. And Michael, verse number eight, Michael and the godly angels, they prevail. He fought against the dragon and the dragon fought and his angels and prevailed not. Neither was their place found anymore in heaven. But we have Satan's fury here. Look in chapter 12 and verse number 12. Therefore rejoice ye heavens and dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil is come down to you on the earth again, having great wrath because he knows that he hath but a short time. In other words, the devil at this point sees the handwriting on the wall. He knows he's going to be defeated by the forces of righteousness, by Jesus Christ himself that evil will not prevail forever in this old world. And the devil knows that his time is short. He knows the Bible. He quoted scripture to Jesus over and over. So Satan is thinking, I've got less than three and a half years to finish whatever I'm going to do. And so he intensifies his efforts throughout the great tribulation period. In verse 9, he and his angels again are cast down to the earth, never again to have any access at all to God or to the throne of God in heaven. Now, beginning in chapter 12, and we'll go back and pick up verse 6. The woman, Israel, at the end of the tribulation period flees into the wilderness where she has a place prepared of God that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and three score de uh, days. A thousand two hundred, twelve hundred and sixty days. Now, you're going to get into some numbers in there, and, and you need to understand them. A thousand two hundred and sixty days is exactly three and a half years. In the Bible days, 
they didn't have a 365-day year. They used the old calendar, and it was a 1230-day months in the calendar. They didn't have 28 every now and then, and 31 on some months. They had 30 days in each of, of, of the months. And so, 1260 days, if you'll divide that by 30, that's exactly 36 months, three and a half years. So, we now see that the woman, Israel, flees into some sort of wilderness where God has prepared a place for her, and he's going to care for her, feed her, the remnant of the Jews that are remaining after the fury of Satan has been turned loose on them. He's going to feed them and take care of them. Let's go down to verse 13. And when the dragon saw that he was cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child, the nation of Israel that brought us the Lord Jesus Christ. And the woman was given two wings of a great eagle. And I have no idea what that means. There's nothing in the Bible that I can find to compare that to. All I can say is that somehow God supernaturally preserves the woman, the remnant of the nation of Israel that's left at this point, at the end of the great tribulation period. And he takes her to some secure spot somewhere in the world. We don't know where. And she's nourished for, here's another one of those numbers. A time, in the Bible, a time is one year. Times as two years. And half a time, three and a half years. All these numbers coordinate when you begin to see them. Why did the Holy Spirit inspire it like that? I have no idea. But time, a year, times two years, Two plus one is three and a half, three and a half years, 1260 days, 42 months. He uses all those terms in there. And when you read them, they're all references to the second half of the tribulation period. Now, this scene here is on earth, of course. And let's continue to read. The serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman. But that's got to be symbolic. That can't be realistic that a serpent has enough water that he could flood this woman. So there's some sort of a flood. It could be armies flooding. It could, I, I don't know. It could be literally water. I don't know. Whatever it is is great enough that it would carry away the woman, the remnant of the nation of Israel that has not been destroyed. And the earth helped the woman, and the woman opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon cast out of his mouth. These are supernatural, mysterious events. And the woman was wroth, or the dragon was wroth with the woman. Satan absolutely turns all of his demonic fury on the nation of Israel. And he goes to war with the remnant of her seed. Why the remnant? Because much of the nation of Israel will have been destroyed through the previous events here in the book of Revelation. 
He went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, let me show you something that's, to me, very fascinating. And we're going to see this even in more detail next Sunday night. But in chapter number 12 here, uh, it talks in, in its description in verse number 3 of the dragon, Satan. He has seven heads. He has ten horns. And he has seven crowns upon his heads. The seven-headed, if you will, dragon here. Those heads in the book of Daniel from last week, we found out they represent nations, the great, great empires of the past. And what is fascinating to me is that you take every one of those empires and every one of them have hated Israel, sought to destroy the woman. Before Daniel ever dreamed of that image or that beast, Daniel looked back and before that there was Egypt. What did Egypt do? It was the great empire of that time. It kept God's people as slaves for 430 years. And following Egypt was Assyria. And what did the Assyrians do? They came down and took the, 12, the 10 tribes in the northern kingdom captive, scattered them, took them away from their home. They've never been seen since. The 10 lost tribes of Israel, we refer to them. And then there's Babylon. And what did Babylon do? Well, Babylon was holding Israel captive while Daniel is writing his book. They were captive for 70 years, slaves down in, in uh, Babylon. And then the Medes and the Persians came along. And they hated the people of God, the Jewish people. They persecuted them. In my Bible reading this week, I'm in the book of Esther, and some of you are that are going through it. And you read the story of wicked Haman and how he had tried, he, he, he tried to connive and turn the king's heart against the Jewish people. And his goal was to absolutely destroy every Jew in the Persian kingdom, to kill them all. Esther, of course, you know the story of how she saved them. And then under the Greeks, there was Alexander the Great, who was really a friend of the Jews, admired Jerusalem, he said, in the temple. But then Alexander the Great died, and he left these generals, and some of them were very anti-Semitic. And then there's Rome. And we know what Rome did. Rome came and sacked the city in 70 A.D. and killed hundreds of thousands of people, carried the rest of them as slaves, scattered them all over Europe, came back again, whatever was left destroyed it in 120, 130, somewhere along there. Now we come to the future. And what does the future hold for Israel? More persecution. The devil hates Israel. He's always hated them because they represent God's people. And here there's only a remnant of them left. And they flee into the wilderness, into some place that God has supernaturally prepared. And God cares for them. And Satan, some sort of a flood, some symbol of, I don't know what it represents. But whatever it is, it's an attempt to destroy them again. But God miraculously, miraculously spares them. 
Now, one more turn here before I finish in Matthew chapter 24. Let's listen to what Jesus said about all this. Matthew 24 and 15. Jesus is talking about the tribulation period. And he says, and when you shall see the abomination of desolation, what is that? He said it was spoken of Daniel, uh, spoken of by Daniel the prophet. And the abomination of desolation is at the midpoint of the tribulation period when the Antichrist next week comes to the earth, sets up an image probably of himself in the Jewish temple that will be rebuilt in Jerusalem, demands that the nation of Israel worship him. That's why he develops this hatred for the Jewish people here at the middle of the tribulation period. Why they have to flee the remnant that's left after he kills scores of them. And let's continue. Let them which be in Judea at that time flee into the mountains. Let the people that are on the housetop not even come down to take anything out of the house, but run when Satan and the Antichrist unleash their fury upon the Jews. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. Woe to the woman who is with child and to them that give suck that have the, the nursing baby. Pray ye that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day, for then there shall be, and Jesus uses the term, great tribulation, middle of the seven-year period, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened, there should be no flesh saved. But for the elect's sake, the elect of the house of Israel, those days shall be shortened. And if you go to Daniel chapter 9 and verse number 27, you read very, very similar words. Daniel said, after three score and two weeks, uh, pardon me, I'm, verse 27, he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week, the Antichrist, the beast. In the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. For the overspreading of the abominations, he shall make it desolate. Even until the consummation determined shall be poured out upon the desolate. And through the Bible, it's this description, this awful, awful time when Satan does everything he can to destroy Israel because they brought us the Son of God. You know, one of the most disturbing things to me that's happening in America, you don't hear a, a whole lot about it, but it ought to be the deepest concern to everybody here is this thing of anti-Semitism. And it's growing like a cancer in America today. Hatred for the Jewish people. Don't ever be a part of that, my friend. Never, never, ever. The Jewish people are the chosen people of God. They haven't always pleased God. Many of them are wicked people just like our crowd. But don't you ever get talked into any of this far-right, white, supremacist, anti-Israel stuff. No, no, no. You're, God has a special place in his heart for his people. 
I love the Jews. The Bible says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. I only wish that there were hundreds of thousands of Jews in our area that I could talk to because they're special. Don't you ever get involved in anything that has any anti-Semitism in it. And believe me, that's... Do you know where it's growing in America? In the colleges and universities. Now you read here, this is really just an introduction to the great tribulation period that I've covered tonight in this chapter. Next week, we'll get into the heart of it in chapter 13. So you can read ahead and be studying it. Man, when you see what's happening in our world today in America, I named the message Preparing for the Great Tribulation and the Global Governance. And these people in Davos, they've got plans, but God has his plan. And he is going to make all things new himself, the Scripture says. And I'm excited as I get to preach about that and tell you how that's all going to come about. Stand to your feet with me in prayer.